you just can't imagine standing up here and looking out at the congregation, see happy people and big smiles and everything. It's just real encouraging. Um, so y'all are y'all are uh, really special. We're very grateful for you. Look forward to sharing uh, some things that God's laid in my heart this week, and we're looking forward to. Uh, just uh, going through together, uh, and I was asked about a title a while ago, and I think the best title that I could give this is Learning to Trust the Ways of God. Learning to Trust the Ways of God. Now, I will say before I actually get going and started in this, I I want to say that the Lord's kind of doing some things as far as preparing for future messages. And I was working on one during the week on mercy. And I was looking up words and looking up different things, W.E. Vine and different ones. And boy, I'm, I'm really excited. I came very, very, very close to going ahead and going, but I just hadn't really put the finishing touches on it. And so um, I'm looking forward to that. Even, even the introduction, if y'all will just be here that day, the introduction will be kind of unusual and different. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, to preaching that message, and it's exciting <clears throat> to me to be able to see God just continuing to show truth and, uh, and, and encouraging us in His Word. But today... I really felt very, very strongly because so many folks that we know about, so many folks that we know are really going through some pretty difficult times. I mean, they're not, it's not, they're just not going through just, you know, easy, easy living. Um, there's some real struggles going on in individuals' lives. And, and I would just say, you know, as hard as I think we try to comfort and as we try to say we we understand I like what Elizabeth Elliot said you know the other day I used that quote that you know she really can't say to somebody I really understand what you're going through I, because we're not there we're not with you 724 we don't know the effort we don't know what you're facing and so but we all individually have our own separate issues, and it may not be a physical or a health issue. It could be other issues. It could be emotional stress and things like that. So uh, it's exciting to me to see God reveal His Word. And if we're open, if we could just be a people that were open to letting Him speak and using even the foolishness of preaching to help us to go through some things and learn some things. And, but ultimately, it's going to be the Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher. I mean, he's, he's going to be the one that's really going to do the vast majority of the teaching. But just when you get a rhema from God, a personal word from God, when, you, when you're going through your struggle, when you're going through your trial, when you're going through hard times, difficult times, and you are, you're just driven to the Word of God, and you, it's like, I just I have no place to turn. I, there's only one place to turn is to the Lord Jesus Himself, and I'm turning to His Word. And, and, and God, if you, will, if you will obey and do some things, don't harden your heart during the crisis of the trial. Don't let your heart be tenderized. But if you will allow God to show you, this is not like any other book you'll ever put your eyes on. This is not like Reader's Digest. This is not like other books or even in, the, in, the, in your Christian bookstore. This is a living word, perfect, breathed by God. And, and so when we read it, it's, it's different. And and God wants to say something to us. I, I'm convinced you can take one verse and read it over and over and over and over. And God will speak to you through that one verse. Just get in the Word. Do something. Don't, don't forget or neglect 
getting into the word, but God will give a rhema. He, it may be a struggle. It may be difficult. It may not come just, uh, you know, just out of the sky and you say, wow, that's it. There may be some agony and some waiting, but God will be faithful to give you his word, rhema from him. And y'all know that when I preach, I kind of lean and I don't, I just lean toward trying to be very practical. How do I, how do I get along with my wife for 52 years? We just celebrated 52 years of marriage. And that to me is a miracle because, you know, when we got married, there were people on the side saying, Rod will never make it in marriage. But you see, they weren't given any credit that God had saved me through faith in Jesus Christ, and He had started a work and started doing something in my heart and life that caused us to change, me to change especially. And uh, so, but the practical, I like, I lean toward the practical. I like to, to talk about the practical. And it's amazing when God shows you something when he shows you something in his word, it's just so very meaningful and special. It's life changing. How many could I just ask you? I mean, I don't I don't intend when I ask you to raise your hand or something. I'm not intending to embarrass anybody or single anybody. But if you've if you know what I'm talking about and you have had God speak through his word. Now, he's not going to contradict his word. We're not talking about some kind of something. You know, you've got a revelation for God, but it doesn't line up with scripture. But you've gotten something from Scripture during a difficult time or whatever in your life. You're spending time in the Word, and you had God speak directly through His Word. Let's see your hand. Everybody here ought to be able to say that. I've had some times with God, and God has spoken. So today, we're going to be thinking about and looking into, and, and again, in 45 minutes, 40 minutes, you're not going to be able to cover a lot, but... The ways, these ways of God, that some things that I learned back in our, my 30s, God showed me then, and now here, you know, I just, uh, the 13th, I had my 75th uh, anniversary, my 75th uh, birthday, and I learned this in my 30s, and it still applies today. It's still, I'm still seeing it. Lived. I see God doing this very same thing all these years later. And so it's learning to trust the ways of God. So there are so many things he's doing, but I'm going to show you three things in Scripture that God will do and is doing in your life and mine as he's accomplishing certain things. Now, someone requested the other day that I uh, preach a series that I had done years ago, several times probably, and uh, I was excited. So that's on the, the, that list of these things. And someone said, when are you going to do that? And so I'm encouraged that, uh, that someone is saying, you know, there's a series that you did or whatever, and I'd like to hear that again. I need to be refreshed in that. So that's very encouraging to me. And we'll get around to that. I mean, there'll, you know, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be able to go tackle that once again. But today, uh, the Lord has really stressed this in my life. So if you would, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to start there, and I want to point something out to you. I want you to think about Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Just to kind of get us started, then we'll go to an Old Testament passage. And again, I mean, I've, how many times have we turned to Romans chapter 8? But the word I'm going to point out to you, I've never really tackled it like we're going to tackle it today and think about it. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That ought to be something that we all agree to and we should live by. I am, I am so convinced. And don't ask me to explain. You know, people say, well, how do you explain this? And how do you explain that? Don't ask me to explain. I just by faith trust that God says 
that all things, A-L-L, all things work together for good. And I believe him. And you know what? My part is to trust him and I don't have to have him explain it to me. And so we know that all things work together. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he knows everything. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Brethren, the word I want us to think about today, right now as we are moving into this, is the word being conformed or conformed. I want you to think about this word conformed. We're being conformed. That's, that's, a, that's something I, I think it's so easy to read over that. I think it's so easy to, you know, have somebody just read that and say all things work together, we're being conformed and go right on. But the Lord really said to me this week, let's think about that being conformed. Let's think about that. And I want you all to just think with me, if you will. Think about this idea of being conformed, being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I know there will be a completion when we're in heaven. That's the future. But I do believe there's a daily, I believe there's a daily process that God takes us through as He's conforming us to the image of his son. We are human beings. We're made up of flesh and blood. We have a carnal nature. We we have emotions and we have moods. I think it's so easy to say, yeah, I'm being conformed. I want you to think about that. We're really bent, most of us, we're pretty bent on living out our lifestyle in the flesh. We, we, ha- we have a tendency to act pretty human a lot of the time. And so in our humanity, as a believer, a person who's placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've trusted in Christ, He's died on the cross for your sins. <clears throat> you can't save yourself. You can't be baptized enough times. You can't walk the aisle enough times. You've come to salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts to conform us. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's an easy thing for most of us. Because for me to act and, and genuinely be Christ-like in a situation is pretty miraculous. It's, it's pretty miraculous to think that I'm, I'm in a stressful situation, I've been attacked or I've been something's happened, and I'm going to respond to other people that attack me and hate me as christ responded and it be genuine not fake not phony but be real genuine and then even when we worship folks i i'm just i hope our worship you know i think a lot of times when we get together i think we're one way in the pew and we may be another way at home and and i that's always broken my heart because i know this is what i've i've said for years Children know that. Your kids know that. They see you high-fiving and backslapping and saying God is good all the time to the church members on Sunday, and then they see you during the week lose your temper, argue with your wife. They see all that. They know you. They know you better than anybody, except God, of course, but they know you. So we see one side on, in church, and they see another side. And it doesn't surprise me that many kids are growing up and choosing not to go to church. So this process is not an easy process. It, 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 I think it can be painful. I think he's chipping away at me and you, and he promised he's conforming us. But to make me 
have the character of Christ? That's not an easy... I mean, I'm not talking about the instantaneous at, at, at the end in heaven. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the daily, the daily grind where you're at work, where you're with your wife, your husband, you're raising your kids. I'm talking about in traffic, responding, being Christ-like. I mean, if we're ambassadors for Christ... We should be acting like we even know him. I mean, in a certain way, we people ought to people. Ought, and I'm convinced if a church can get to the point where they are really the membership is like real ambassadors for Christ. I believe it's going to be like a magnet. For people to start coming. But why would people come with hypocrisy and with backbiting and gossip and and think, why? Why, but from God's perspective, why would God even bless a church like that? Why, why would he even do that? So we've got a responsibility to, to respond, to be Christ-like, and, and accept our responsibility, but to understand, I'm going through a process. He promised it. He's conforming me to the very image of his son. And I believe in my situation, I've experienced some suffering and some pain. And, you know, we talked about that the last time I preached. Suffering and pain, and I used several quotes from Elizabeth Elliot. And I love the idea, and I'm not, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I love the idea that she said, drink from the cup that God has given you. Accept that cup. That, realize everything we have in our lives has come. Receive it from the hand of God. Receive it from the hand of God. It's the cup. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. It's the cup. In your life circumstances, either we will respond to those circumstances, our trials, our situations, and knowing that God is at work conforming us, and we need to respond and accept and drink from that cup that He's given us. And it ought to be something that be, would be uh, Christ-like. And, you know, there's all kind of things throughout, you know, the last 30, 40 years where people say, you know, well, what would Jesus do and all that. I mean, it, it is really true. In your crisis... How would Jesus respond to your set of circumstances? How would he respond to your set of circumstances? And would you say, as you evaluate and as you examine, would you say your response is just like what Christ would, re how he would respond? If, he were, if he's going through exactly what you're going through, is the response going to be the same? So we need to drink from that cup and realize every cup that we have is from the hand of God. Pain. And I know a lot of people that have some real pain going on. Pain and sorrow and difficulties and so many different kind of trials, pressures that people are under. But how are, you accepting, how are you accepting the cup that God is handing you? How are you responding to his cup that he's given you? So I just, I just jotted down a couple of things like sickness. We can just take sickness, for example. And, and there's no way. Please understand, I know that you can't. I can't get up here and describe everything about major sickness. I just, it's impossible. But. I think sickness can be painful. I think sickness can cause stress in a family. I think sickness can cause, and let's just be honest, I think it can cause doubt. Like, why is this happening? And, you know, what is my future? And, I mean, it, it can really create in a family, sickness can really create some very, very difficult Pressures that I can't even really understand, but those that are going through it can understand it better. 
So that's the area of sickness. And there's a lot you could say about sickness and, and, and how God can use sickness to get us to the point where you really understand he's really conforming you. He's using your sickness to conform you to the image of Christ. Your pressure, your stress that you're going through, through your trial, through your sickness, he's using that to conform you. Um, uncertainty. And I, I'm thinking about uncertainty about the future, like the future of our country, the future, where, where are we going from here? Um, I was just telling my wife the other day that I don't think I've seen anything, and maybe it's the access that we have that's so available and news topics that are so available, but I don't remember in my lifetime since Y2K so much about difficult times ahead. I, I don't remember that. Y2K, people went out and bought camping stuff and stoves and propane and and did a, and they prepared and, and didn't use it, and that's fine. But I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've seen anything quite like that up until recently. And Dick and I have had some conversations about it, and, you know, I, my view is I, I think Christians, <clears throat> I think God uses that uncertainty and that concern for us to get, to be more dependent on Him. I think that's, that's, I'm, I hear about this stuff and I should be more dependent and say, God, I'm going to have to trust you more through this because it doesn't look good. The future doesn't look a bit good, but, but I'm trusting you. But does, that, does it end there? I, I don't, for, for me, I don't think so. I, we've, had, we've lived on the coast. I was raised in Laporte. We've lived in Baytown. We've had Alicia. We've had Carla. We've had Ike. We've had major storms. Storms come. Isn't it amazing? We've been without power for two weeks at a time down in Baytown. Linda had to go to her family's house. I stayed. And no air conditioning, no lights, no nothing. Just, you know, two weeks, no ice. They had ice trucks bringing ice and water. Um, in the last three years where we live now, we've had two major ice storms, you know, like two in one winter and then another winter, so that's three. But we've had ice storms where we've lost power for nine days one time and seven days the other time. No power, no nothing. We ran out of gasoline. I've got two generators, but it's amazing when you're running generators and you're, you know, one of them's a 10,000 watt uh, Generac and it's using, you know, like a gallon an hour. Think about that. How many hours can you get out of just a few cans of gasoline? And so, so these things, these things are real. It's, I mean, that's not like, you know, we're being attacked in New York or we're being bombed by China or any of that. These are just things that have happened in the last several years. And I think personally for me and my house, we want to be able to be a little prepared. I mean, have a little extra water, have a little extra canned goods and, you know, propane bottles for cooking. I mean, it, just that's just me, but uh, but as far as uh, like we said even this morning, Dick, you know, we can't store up enough stuff for five years. You know, they're just, we're not going to be doing that kind of thing. But I think for two weeks or a month, I, so. But what is this doing? Is it is it causing us to fear and to panic and and to you know hoard and all this stuff and have all these fearful thoughts, or is it really getting us to the point we say, you know what? God, you're in control of all this. I'm going to do my part and be responsible, but I trust you ultimately. And if I die, starve to death or whatever, so be it. I'll just go be with you. And, and so, but it ought to be, there ought to be, but these, these news items are used by God as he's developing confidence and trust. He's chipping away at our old man. He's chipping away at our flesh. He's chipping away at our carnality. And he's develop, attempting to develop the very character of Christ in each one of us. So, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. One of my life verses. Just love this. It was given to me at such a special time in my life. <clears throat> 
I want you to think about this process. Now, God is conforming us. He's chipping away. He's, he's, he's trying to change our character, our attitude, our responses to circumstances of life and our relationships with each other. Let's look at this. It's three verses, and I'll read it to you. Chapter 8, 1 through 3. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord uh, thy God has led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that Man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, of, of the Lord doth man live. So, the process. Here's, here's Israel. They've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They had the fire by uh, night and the cloud by day. And they were in rebellion. At, remember at Kadesh Barnea, they had an opportunity to go into the promised land. And, I, and there are a lot of preachers, a lot of books that have been written about that event. But a lot of people were talking about, you know, Canaan is like equivalent to the New Testament abundant life. And they were, they were given an opportunity to go into where God, we know it was God's will. There's no question, is this God's will? That was God's will. That's where he wanted to take them. He wanted to lead them. But the 12 spies go in and, and they come back and they give the 10, 10 basically vote no and two voted yes. And, you know, you've heard it so many times. They, you know, they're giants in the land. They make us look like grass, grasshoppers in their sight. All that. Oh, yes, but the land does flow with milk and honey. They've got all this, these things they brought out. And they said, but the vote was 10 to 2. And I always love to insert this. This is one of my favorites over all the years. This proves without a doubt the majority, the majority is not always right. And did I hear a big amen or a little amen? The majority, you know, you say, well, the majority of us and the majority of us think this. Majority is not always right. Now, I know that's only one verse, but still, I'll, I'll hang my hat on that one. So God, here's God wanting them to go in. They refuse. Now they have to wander for 40 years. But what did God do? What did God do? He's providing, he's doing miracles along the way. I mean, I, I wish I'd have looked up. Somebody, somebody tell me, how many million Israelites were there in the wilderness wandering. I should have looked it up, but I didn't look it up. But I've, I have in the past, but I didn't this time. Anybody know how many million? Anybody have an idea? How many? You know, I don't know. We'll have to go to Google. <laughs> I mean, it's so amazing. I mean, I think you could Google it and somebody could answer it right quick. Don't pull out your phones, please. But... Um, but, it, but think about this, feeding that many people with, you know, manna and providing water and all, the, all that goes into that. I mean, can you imagine the chore? Can you imagine what that would be like? The provision that God had, he's, he's taking them through the wilderness, leading them through the wilderness. And by the way, did you notice they were in rebellion and God didn't leave them? They were in rebellion, and God didn't leave them. They were disobedient, but God stayed with them. He continued to lead them. Now, let me, I will give the uh, kind of a brief, you know, I, I'm kind of caught between, and that's what I'm going to say in my introduction. I told you it's going to be interesting. It. Preaching is really something. I mean, you. on the one hand, I have somebody saying, would you please repeat 
one of the series that you've done. And on the other hand, somebody says, I don't like you repeating these things. So you know what? I, after 47 years in full-time ministry, I've really finally decided I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. So this is what God told me to tell you. Some of you hadn't heard this, but I'll, I'll not drag it out. It, it can be a long story, but I was in my 30s. This is where we got to this about, and I'm going to show you what these three things are here in Deuteronomy. But we're in, I'm in my 30s, and I had, back in those days, I still have headaches, but not maybe as bad as I did then. I was having really bad headaches. I ended up, even when I went to seminary, you know, I ended up in the emergency room with headaches. Bad headache. So I had a really bad headache. I went to this doctor and this doctor, you know, I thought he's going to treat my headache, you know, and I'm back in the chair and he's doing an exam, looking in my ears, looking in my eyes, looking in my throat. And he said, what in the world is that? And I said, what? And he said, you've got something big in the back of your throat. He said, it looks like a tumor. I said, well, yeah, I'm a preacher and I yell and scream and, you know, and I've strained a muscle back there. I mean, think about it. A preacher's work. I said, I've strained a muscle. That's what that is. He said, no, that's no muscle. He said, that's a tumor. So I didn't like him at all. He didn't do anything for my headache. He told me I had a tumor that I didn't know I had. So I went to another doctor, went to a health food doctor. Now, we were really, y'all don't know us. We didn't know... Listen, I didn't, even, I didn't even eat Bluebell back in those days. I, in fact, the other day, I got to tell you all this real quick. I, the clock has stopped, so I don't know where we are, but it doesn't matter. I'll try to do my best to, so we can have plenty of time. But the other day, I got natural vanilla bean. That was the first Bluebell ice cream I got when we were coming off of our strict no-sugar diet. We, I mean, we, we were so strict. I wouldn't eat ketchup. I would, we made our own peanut butter. I mean, we were strict. Carolyn remembers those days, don't you? Never will forget the birthday party. And I told my kids all the way there, now they're going to try to get you to eat this poison, this cake and ice cream. And I'm going to tell you right now, not a bite. I don't care how much pressure. Nobody eats cake and ice cream. And so we got there and they folded their little hands and they put cake and ice cream in front of them and they didn't eat. And my mother got so, I don't think, I don't know. She forgave me for a lot of things. I don't think she ever forgave me for that. It made her so mad. You wouldn't let those kids eat. So anyway, we were really strict. So coming out of that, I saw natural vanilla bean. And I said, it's got to be good for you. It says natural on it. So that, that's when I started eating Bluebell again. And from then, from then on, it's been man alive, the latest, uh, the latest one. And we're going to the store and buying three or four at a time and eating it. And I mean, it's just like, you know, something's going to get me, right? So, and it's like Leo Wells used to say, if I see a wrinkle somewhere, I just eat more Oreos and try to fill it out. I'm not saying that's the way to do it for you, but that's kind of, we're, we're enjoying life. And it may be over sooner than we expected, but anyway, we're going to go out with a bang. With bluebell on my lips. <laughs> but anyway, I can't believe I said that. But, um, <laughs> so anyway, so the first doctor said, you've got a tumor. I didn't like him. We went to the second doctor. He put me on a really, really strict diet. You know, I could eat raw uh, you know, squash, yellow squash, and I could eat raw this, raw that. And he had all kind of vitamins, and I was taking all kind of vitamins. And he said, at best, even doing all this, you may have six months to live. I said, what? And I'm serious. I mean, I know we're la I'm laughing now, but at the time when I'm in my 30s, I've got a guy with a white coat and a little thing on his head up here, you know, a light. And he's saying, you've got about six months to live. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no, you've got a, a cancer in the location back there. It's so close to your brainstem. You've got six months at best. I said, I don't like him either. So I went to a third doctor. 
And uh, that doctor said, look, nobody's taking a biopsy. I said, don't cut. I don't want anybody cutting. I don't want to spread. He said, look, we got to find out. We got we to go in there and cut it out. So he did. Went in, opened my mouth, put me to sleep. I'm in surgery for several hours. They get in there and they really have to do a lot of cutting and all. They literally had to rebuild my palate. So to even preach after that is really a miracle. Took it out, examined it. It was a benign tumor. And the doctor, the second doctor, the health food doctor, came to one of the seminars one day. And we were behind the information table. And he came and said, well, it's good to see you to Linda. And uh, she said, well, Rod's right over here. And he just, he's still here? He, he really believed it. He really believed that I was a goner. But anyway, so during that time, though, our kids were little. I was in my 30s. And I can remember crying, and I would say, God, I, I'm too young for this. I really want to see my kids grow up. I love my family. And I just, I was going through a hard time. It was really, and I know it's hard. I, I can say how hard it was for me, and nobody really understands but Jesus, and that's okay. No, no problem. But it was very, I was very lonely you wouldn't believe how many times people mention cancer and it just reminds you again. So God took me to this verse and this is what he showed me. It's kind of brief from here. But <clears throat> verse two, and thou shalt, and this is what I, I'm just digging in the word of God and God is speaking to my heart. And thou shalt remember all the way the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So there's some things that God clearly spoke to me about. And number one, since Israel had disobeyed and wandered for 40 years, God never left them. God said to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says it in his word in the New Testament, but he spoke it to me through the word. I will never leave you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So to have that confidence and that comfort from God that he's never going to leave me. Folks, I hope, I hope that you can hear his voice today. And I hope whatever trial you're going through, how difficult it is, and you cry yourself to sleep at night, I hope you can hear him say, I'm here with you and I will never, ever leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Number two, he taught me, says, and thou shalt remember. Number two, he reminded me to remember. Remember how he has provided. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his provisions. Remember his protection. Remember his promises. To remember how God has led you up to this point. Remember those things. Those are good things to recall, to remember, to think about, and it helps you to develop confidence in God, what he's doing in your life. You may be in a terrible crisis, but, but remember how he's led you in the past, and that should be encouraging. <clears throat> I just want to say something here. Um, we had a, a meeting last week with Dale, our treasurer, and um, we had a, you know, 45 minute meeting or so. And I just want to be really honest and transparent with you and just say uh, the report, the financial report was not just super encouraging. It, it just wasn't. And, um, and, but I, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, I hope you know well enough. I'm not trying to play Mr. Spiritual. But all I have to do is remember. All I have to do is remember. When we left the Houston Police Department, we took our first church. We had, we had no money hardly to live on. The little bitty house, we moved from a nice brick home in Laporte. We moved to a little add-on wooden thing they'd added on to. You know, just made it like two, room, two bedrooms. Uh, 
But all along the way, God has provided. We've had to eat some beans and rice. Yes, we've lived on beans and rice for quite some time because of not having the funds. You've heard me say that Rod Edwin needed corrective shoes and he, we bought those shoes, but his, shoe, his foot stopped growing. He went for almost three years and his foot never grew as a young boy, young boy. And we saw God, we saw God keep his feet from growing. Now they're normal size, everything's fine. But God knew we didn't have the money to keep buying these shoes. Our, our cars, we just got rid of our, our Honda. Uh, you know, four-cylinder had 250,000 miles. I know a lot of people say, well, I've gotten 300,000. We've never gotten 250,000 miles out of any car. We've gotten 150 before, but not 250. This is a four-cylinder, 250,000 miles. We've seen our vehicles last when they really shouldn't be lasting. But this is just God. He's promised to take care of us. I've seen our church when we didn't have the money. We had a secretary one time. We've had, I forgot how many in 36 years, but we had a secretary. She was full time. She put in 40 hours a week. She got a good salary here. In fact, uh, Skip Smith's wife said, could I come to work for y'all? Because y'all are paying more to her than, than I'm getting at Sagemont. And so we, we were taking good care. But the finances started dropping. And she told me, and she just said, I've seen this before. I've seen churches go under. And she said, I'm going to. So she gave her two, two weeks notice. And she was gone. She got a job with the school district, got benefits. She's still there, I think, as far as we know. But she bailed out. The church, the church flourished. We started saving money. And we paid cash. This is all for God's glory. We paid cash for this building, for the gym, for the parking lot. All the renovation, we paid cash. And God did it all. And I, and I mean, I think we need to be good, wise stewards. I think we need to be cautious and careful. But I've always said you can't run a church like a business. You can't run a church. It's, it's, a ministry, it's God's church. And God's responsible. And, and I think He uses finances to get a bunch of people's attention. So that we can begin praying more, spending more time with Him, and depending on Him more. And so, I'm not worried at all about the financial situation I'm more concerned about our heart condition as a church than I am the financial situation of our church. And so I just hope and pray that we will all unite together and say, God, this is your church and we want to do whatever we can to be a part of seeing this. And you know that and I, I'll be real careful, but I know there are people that have gone, that have left. I know there are people that really don't want to see North Belt succeed. In fact, if North Belt had to close their doors, our doors, I think there would be some people high-fiving over that. But you see, my battle is not against flesh and blood. My battle is against Satan and his demonic forces. So I'm just encouraged. God's allowed us to be in this situation. We're making it week by week, barely, and under some weeks. And let's continue to trust Him. And depend on Him. And let Him use this to change us into the Christians that we're supposed to be and the church that He wants us to be. So what has He done here? What did He do with Israel? Three things. He humbled them. See, God's opposed the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. So in the being conformed to the image of Christ, you can count on this fact. We all struggle with pride. If I, preach, if I preach a really dynamic sermon, I'll get in the car with my wife and my truck and I'll say, what'd you think? How was it? Oh, it was dynamite. Ooh, it was good. I worked hard on that. You know, I'm just saying, we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with pride. And God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to pride. So he's going to allow things, and I want you to think about it. He's going to allow circumstances in our lives to shatter our pride and increase humility. That makes it. He's going to allow things in our lives to shatter our pride and, and increase our humility. 
I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say, you know, some of you know, uh, in the last two years or two and a half years, uh, I've been diagnosed with neuropathy. And some people say, oh, that's not so bad. I know a bunch of people's got that. Well, I don't know that you really understand until you've had it. And, um, you know, I, but when I have to go to that rail and get up and down, like I used to never, man, I'd, I'd just, you know, two or three steps at a time, jump up here, jump down. I mean, but now I'm having to take the handrail and go up and down. Because my feet, I have no feeling in my legs from my knees down. My feet are like sponges. And, uh, but am I angry at God about that? He's humbling me. We were, Dale, we were up here for the graduation. And I don't know, I, 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 this is what I remember, but I, it may not be 100%. We're sitting there and I'm just staring at these stairs because we're going to come up this. Because we, you know, for the graduation. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? You know? And so, did you say something? Did you say, are you okay? Or whatever. I thought, I, I know somebody did maybe a year before. But anyway, <clears throat> I, somebody, might have been Dan sitting there beside me. And he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get up there. But what I did is I grabbed hold of Dale's arm. I mean, a man, a man, a grown man having to hold on to another man's arm to go up the steps. I mean, it's very humbling. I was hoping none of you would see. But it's very humbling. But you see, God is doing that in my life and in your life. And whatever circumstance you're going through, don't fight it. Don't resist it. Accept that cup that God has given you. And let him develop humility in your life. Because if you've got an ounce of pride, I know, listen, there's so many things that we can take credit for. Be careful. Because God should get all the credit. Number two, he humbles us and to prove us. Well, that's what he did with Israel. He was testing them. Well, think about the test. He would provide water and they would murmur. He would provide manna and they would murmur. And they even said, well, we need to get another captain. Let's, you know, kill Moses. and Let's go back to the, you know, to the Egyptian bondage. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But <clears throat> he tests us. So he tests them and they failed miserably so many times. The scripture records the murmuring against God. So, as individuals, we get tested. How's your response? When you get tested, how's your response? Are you complaining, murmuring, mumbling under your breath? And how about a church? How about the church as we go through our struggles, whatever it is we're going through, and, we, and we're being tested? How are we responding to it? Who are you whispering to when you think nobody's listening? And so he's testing us and he's humbling us and he's testing us. And hopefully our response to the test is Christ-like. And then last of all, um, to, to prove thee to know what was in thine heart. Well, it, in my 30s, I was not the scholar that I am today. Um. I don't know if y'all are really all awake or not, but some of you missed that one. But, um, <clears throat> but in my 30s, I'm kind of scratching my head and saying, I kind of thought God knew everything. So why is he humbling me and testing me to know what's in my heart? Is, do I have to go through this so he'll know what's in my heart? No. He humbles me to test me to know what's in my heart, to show me what's in my heart that he already knows. Folks, he already knows. He already knows the deepest, darkest thoughts of your mind. He knows what you're meditating on. He knows your secrets. He knows your murmurings to others, even when you don't think anybody's paying attention. He knows. He knows it all. And when he humbles us and tests us and takes us through whatever it is, he's, this 
trial, he's wanting us to see what he already knows we have inside of us. And what are we supposed to do with it? We examine ourselves and we confess it before God. God, I know that's not Christ-like. That's not being like Jesus. That's being very fleshly. Folks, I hope, I hope we can get this. I hope we can get it before it's too late. Because God is really doing a great work. And He's testing us. And He's humbling us. But He's wanting to show us what's in our heart. We, we have a choice. The Scripture is very clear that we can either humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God or we will let Him humble us. <clears throat> we can choose humility <clears throat> and choose to be under His authority or He will, you can count on it, or He will humble you. <clears throat> so I encourage you today, as we have our invitation, as we have our <clears throat> time for self-examination, we think about the processes of God. We think about how God is leading and working and He's allowing certain things to come in our lives. <clears throat> we have our responsibility to respond to Him. And I just ask you, every time you get squeezed, every time you go through a trial, every time you go through a pressure, can we honestly and be real honest and frank and transparent with God, can you honestly say, Every time I get pressure on me, all I ever see is the character of Jesus flowing out of me. And see, I don't think that's the case. <clears throat> I know it's not in my life. <clears throat> and I I'm pretty sure I've seen some of you and it's not in your lives either. That we, that when we get the pressure, are we going to respond the way Christ wants us to respond? So I encourage you, we're going to have our invitation Today would be the great day to, to see a change, to see a change in our lives, to see God do a great work, to take us deeper with Him, and to let Him reveal some deep truths that He's working in your life. And we have a choice. We can either say, yes, I'll drink from that cup, or I'm going to fight it to the very end. <clears throat> I encourage you to respond to Him today. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for... The Word of God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your unconditional love. We thank You that You started a work in us the day we were saved, and You've promised to not let up the whole time. And I pray, Father, that we would all see what You're doing. You're humbling us, and You're testing us as a church, as a people, individuals. You're testing us to show us what is really down deep in our heart that You know all about. And when You squeeze... What comes out? And I pray that you would help us today to respond to you. To be open and, and honest with you. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your will. And none of us would leave here today the same as we walked in. That we would respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, Yes, Lord, I'll drink from that cup that you've given me. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for salvation. Pray for those that are lost, that they would come to Christ before it's too late for them. I pray that they would respond and say yes to Jesus. They would run to Jesus Christ to be saved. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you're providing, that you continue to provide and do a great work in our church and in our individual lives. And we'll just praise you throughout eternity for all that you're doing. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us so much in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>